Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of God is Not a Theory with Ken Fish. I'm your host, Grant Pemberton, and we've got uh, yet again more returning guests. It's It's been a, a season of that. It's wonderful uh, as the people that we keep uh, meeting with and talking to. There's too much uh, too many amazing stories and testimonies to squeeze into one uh, podcast, which is just so beautiful uh, to be able to to talk to people that have that many God stories. So Ken, thank you for uh, getting them back on here. I'll let you uh, intro uh, our returning guests. All right. Well, welcome back. This is the Burning Man team. And uh, to refresh everyone's memory, Burning Man is a I don't know what to call it, a neo-pagan festival, which historically has been held in uh, northern Nevada, in the Black Rock Desert, a little bit out of Garlock, Nevada. And uh, they basically put up a town in the middle of nowhere, and they often have 30,000 people or more come out to engage in, well, just about anything they want to engage in with really no holds barred. Um, and then at the end of it all, they have a, a man made of uh, wood that they burn to the ground, thus the name Burning Man. And it really reminds me of a movie. It was kind of a cult classic that came out. I don't even know how long ago. You could probably find it pretty quickly online. And that movie was called The Wicker Man. And that movie was about um, a constable, a policeman who had gone to this remote island village in uh, Scotland and the people there were engaging in paganism and uh, he doesn't know it but the crime that he was sent to investigate had actually been staged with the objective of luring him in to become their sacrifice well Burning Man isn't quite that sinister but it does have a, a dark side to it which we explored a bit uh, in the last broadcast and uh, people liked the show well enough, and there were enough stories we didn't get to that I decided to invite the Burning Man team back. So here they are, and they're going to tell us some more stories. And of course, their stories won't be stories of evil and darkness, but rather of the redemptive power of the Lord and of light overcoming darkness and of some of the breakthroughs and very moving human stories uh, that occurred out there in the Black Rock Desert. So welcome back, guys. Thank Thanks you for having us. Thanks Thanks for having us. us. Yeah. Maybe I should say welcome back, gals, because there's really only one guy on the on the <laughs> team there. We got three women. You're outnumbered, Rob. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> anyway, uh, for the benefit of our listeners, I'll let all of you introduce yourselves one by one and then um, launch into some more stories to tell us about what God can do in the midst of one of the most pagan places that anyone's been able to think of in a long time. I'm Katie Mazza. And I am the other half, Rob Massa. <laughs> I'm Andrea Barather. And by the way, actually 80,000 people go to Burning Man. Oh, 80,000. My number yeah, was way off. Okay. Unfortunately, yeah. A lot more than 30,000. I'm Barb Owens. All right. Well, welcome back to all four of you. And thanks for the correction, Andrea. Um, <laughs> take it away. Tell us some more stories because we ran out of time the last time. Yeah. So, I, I was just going to fill in a little bit of the history of Burning Man. It actually started on the beach in Northern Cal, probably San Francisco area, as as an art expression, and you know, experimental art is what it is, and 
sometimes it doesn't get explained so they ended up making an effigy of a man and burning it on the beach and over the years the crowd got too big in the San Francisco area so they found this remote place in Nevada to move this crazy expression of I don't know I guess I like to call it alternative culture because <laughs> if anything could go anything could happen it's not strictly pagan you know there's certainly wicked in there but there's certainly a lot of experimental artists there and free quote free thinkers so uh, just to cast the net a little wider yeah well when I say pagan I'm using the term really to mean anything that is not Christian and I think it's safe to say that the people who go to Burning Man oh, there's probably some backslidden Christians in there somewhere there may be some who were once baptized as Christians, uh, perhaps as infants or something. Uh, but but I don't think there's much that goes on at Burning Man other than your tent that is intended to be some sort of authentic expression of the Christian faith. Yeah, there are there are a couple other Christian camps that make it out there, but I was going to explain really fast um, how our, our camp is set up. I think it would be beneficial as we're telling our stories for the listeners to have an idea of what did what it even look like out there? So when we were a theme camp and a theme camp meant that we were going out there to gift something to the culture. And so in, um, we were allotted a plot of land every year. And then on that land, we would construct our campground. And, and what we did is, you know, our tents and the kitchen area and everything like that. But our gift to the people at Burning Man, we had two things that we did. We had a geodesic coffee dome. And in the coffee dome, we would give out free coffee drinks all day long. So we just had a line all day long of people coming for free coffee drinks all day long. I have a question. If it was a geodesic coffee dome, did you put buckyballs in the coffee? <laughs> no. I know what those are. I I know. Know. <laughs> yeah. 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 No, it was pretty miserable to set up that. <laughs> but so we would uh, hand out coffee drinks all day long. And that also served as like a chill space. So with music playing all day, it was a very clean atmosphere, chairs and pillows, blankets, people would come in and get their coffee drink and just hang out. Um, sometimes they'd come in because they needed someplace safe to be off the playa. But that was one of the things that we did as a camp. And then the other thing we did is we had a 90 foot, um, it's like an army mess hall. Can, uh, tent that we constructed. And that was what we called our encounter tent. And in our encounter tent, our two leaders, which for the time that I was there, it was Rob and then our teammate, Darren, um, who was the actual lead, they would sit up in the front, which was the waiting area. And then the, the burners would come in, they'd sit with them. And then we had teams set up of two or three people. Um, generally, we ran about 10 teams. And Robin, Darren would be talking to the people and getting a feel for what they were there for and which team to seat them with. And so they'd have a conversation with the person. And then when it was their turn, they'd take the person back and sit them with an encounter team. And Katie spent most of her time in the coffee dome, although she did do some encounters and Andrea and I would, would lead teams in the encounter tent. So that's just kind of how it was set up just to have a picture of where these stories came out of. When you brought him in, did you say, the doctor will see you now? <laughs> it kind of felt like that sometimes. <laughs> there was always a bit of theater uh, to whatever we did. So we theoretically could say crazy things and people mm -hmm. would love it. Yeah. You know, welcome to your, your alternative reality within alternative reality. <laughs> you could say <laughs> things like that. Yeah. You know? 
Yeah. And we had a menu board of services in the waiting area yeah. with um, things that they could choose from, like dream interpretations or encouraging, encouraging words or some of the other ones, uh, spiritual readings. Encounter. Yeah. Just kind of language that would work in the culture. Yep. But that really was language for, you know, prophetic words and um, healing and things like that, that uh, we did. Yeah. So. Eventually, we ended up with spiritual encounter no matter where we went, <laughs> yeah, free fall. For, uh, which we kind of nicknamed free fall. Would you like the free fall? And they were always going, yes. <laughs> which Did you play that the song? Song? I can't remember who, who wrote it and sang Tom it. Petty. Tom, Petty. Tom Petty. Yeah. Did you play that song when in, in that tent? <laughs> yeah. No. no, I don't think we did. <laughs> no. Yeah. Yeah. I have one. I have a question for you. This is random, but, I, and I don't want to, you know, clog up what you guys are going to say, but I, I, I have I know some people in Australia who um, do outreach to similar kinds of things, although to be clear, there's nothing like Burning Man that goes on in Australia. Um, they, these are just psychic and new age fairs and whatnot. But they're they're there with the purpose of outreach. And they've recently um, started using cards that they're not tarot cards, um, but they could easily, I think, be mistaken as such, because they use them evangelistically to try to talk to people about where they're coming from. And, and you made the comment that uh, some of the things you're doing were in forms that would be familiar to uh, the participants at Burning Man. Did you ever use cards or did you ever see anybody using cards? No, mm -mm. no. Okay. no. And it's one of the things that honestly we had gotten <laughs> criticized for over the years is we didn't go right in there saying, you know, using the name Jesus and whatnot and um, trying to explain to people, you know, speaking the language of the culture, it's no different than if we were learning a language for going into China or Africa or whatever. Yeah. Um, but uh, it was very important for them to be able to receive truth and receive the encounter that they were about to have with Holy Spirit, which rocked them to the core every time. I mean, they, they, they really got it. They got that encounter with Holy Spirit when they came into us. Yeah. That's, and maybe a, a, a short version of explaining that. It's if they came in saying, well, I want, I want the spiritual encounter or the free fall, we'd sit them, they'd sit in front of the team. And basically, this is how the script went. We'd say, well, why don't you close your eyes and we're going to invite the spirit of truth or spirit to encounter you. And they're all, it seems like they're all, high, God made them all highly visual, like mm -hmm. most of us. Well, they would almost immediately, or, you know, after a time, go into some kind of vision that we could interpret, or we could, um, mm -hmm. uh, in a way, guide them through. And it's not exactly like guided visions, like, you know, um, alternative culture might use, but Holy Spirit would show up. Yeah. And we'd, we'd have this incredible faith that something was going to happen, and it did. Mm -hmm. And that sounds simple. But... Yeah, I think you just set me up for the first story. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> This is the mega story. This though. is the mega story. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm going to, this is a really long story that I'm going to condense super, super short. But it's in 10 years of my going to Burning Man, this is my favorite encounter ever because it was so extraordinary. And the Holy Spirit did the whole thing. And I just, we just got to watch. Mm -hmm. But basically this, this gal comes in and her playa name was Slider. And she comes in and she has said she has two dreams. 
she tells us the first dream. Um, long story short, basically interpreted the dream that it was basically she was going to have an encounter with the creator. And she didn't bite on that. She was like, huh. And then she goes on and says, well, can I tell you my happy dream? And then she tells me this dream where she's with in um, a field of flowers with uh, a little girl and a bald man. And she has these three flowers. And one of those flowers is a blue and purple flower from Israel. And I'm not telling like the whole dream or anything, but since she didn't bite on that first dream interpretation, I knew I had to go some different way. I had to be creative. And so I asked the Lord, okay, what, what do we do here to, to get to her heart? And the Holy Spirit tells me to take her into that dream and ask the spirit of truth to come and show her what that flower from Israel really was. And so we did that. And I, she invited the spirit of truth to encounter her. I blessed her spirit to connect with the spirit of truth. And what happened was like an hour long vision journey that was very much like Pilgrim's Progress. Like she was having like a movie play out like Pilgrim's Progress, which is very metaphorical. Mm -hmm. And I'm just going to hit on some of the high highlights of this um, because I don't want to, I have my notes because I don't want to forget the important things. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so anyway. Um, so she, in this beginning, she's with this man that reminds her of, of Gandalf from Lord of the Rings, and his name is Wisdom. And um, so he's engaging with her, and then he sends her on a journey across a desert, and but he gives her, he gives her a book. No, actually, the flower that she had from Israel turns into a book, and the book is very ancient and very heavy, and it has lettering on it that she doesn't recognize. And it's sort of square with pointed tips. Well, what does that sound like? <laughs> right. Um, so she goes on in this journey. Um, she goes, she encounters a path that's very narrow. She encounters a, a river that has so much water and it's very sweet tasting. And then um, she sits down and she pulls out that ancient book from her backpack and she begins to focus on the writing and she's making out a few words so here's the words, difference, perspective, the eyes, sun, dirt, mud, close, it's coming to you. Now, when she said those things, I'm thinking of Jesus spitting in the, in the dirt, making mud, putting it on your eyes, perspective, you know, all those things. And the name of this ancient book she sees is Acknowledge the Birth. Well, how interesting is that? <laughs> so. A little bit long, further into the vision, she finds herself floating upward. Um, now, this is the part I'm going to actually read because it's the best, the best part of the story. She flies up into the clouds. She walks along the clouds, which have a solid footing for her. Up ahead, she sees a triangle, which is emitting such power and energy, she begins to tremble inside. She feels as if something inside of her is bursting to get out. Then she sees a man sitting at a table reading a green book. She sees only his back. She tells us, it's creator. Somehow I know it's the main guy. <laughs> she becomes like a little girl running back and forth, trying to get a glimpse of him. He begins to giggle and laugh. She approaches him and sees the writing in the book. It contains messages from people, names, and dates. Then she sees the title of the book human emancipation. 
She said she doesn't know what that means. She's Mexican and doesn't know what that word means, emancipation. Hmm. She says she, uh, oh, wait. Oh, as she stands next to Creator, she reports feeling such extreme joy. Creator looks at her and asks her, why are you here? His voice is peaceful, loud, and deep. She replies, I wanted to find you. His re- or he responds with laughter and a hug. He asks her if she wants to sign the book. May I draw a picture, she asks. He tells her yes, and that's she's the first person to ever ask that. She takes the pen and draws a picture in the green book of human emancipation of chains broken and signs her name. Then she states, I am free. She tells us she feels pure joy. After that, she sees the bald man from her dream at a distance and beckons him to come. Creator says, it's not time yet. That will take a while for him. She says she will wait. Then she states, I think that's it, and opens her eyes for the first time in over an hour. And this whole time she's in this this vision journey, she's just matter of fact saying what she sees. It's like she's not dawning on her yet, but she opens her Mm -hmm. eyes. And you see this realization just sweep over her face and then tears just start falling down her cheeks. And she realizes what just happened. And she said, my family, we're supposed to be Catholic. (laughs) 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 I thought that was so funny, but um, she was, we we got a chance to talk with her about what happened and talk to her about that book with the, the Hebrew lettering and everything. I mean, it was it was a really good time of unpacking that. And when she went to leave, she just gave us this great big hug and said, you have changed my life. You have no idea. And then she said, I can't wait to get back to my camp and tell them all about this. It was like the woman at the well wanting to run back into the city and tell all about what happened to her. It was very extraordinary. And I will never forget that. And the creativity of God, how he he's so creative and it doesn't have to be xyz this is how you have to do evangelism mm-hmm. he did that all by himself yeah you you reminded me of um so my newbie year uh so we would go in on um sunday to start setting up camp and then theoretically open up for encounters on monday and do encounters monday through friday and then saturday morning uh, a Labor Day weekend, we would break camp in the morning. They burned the man Saturday night, but our team learned pretty early on that that wasn't, we were done before it got to that because it just turned into a big orgy. So we'd break camp on Saturday morning. So we weren't doing any encounters Saturday morning. So my newbie year, I wake up Saturday morning and I've had all these incredible encounters, but I'm thinking to myself, Did, is any of this going to stick with these people? Because you do these incredible encounters, they encounter the Lord but then they just go back out into the playa, into their lives. And so I'm pondering this and I'm thinking, I'm going to have to talk to the gals about this on the way home. Cause we drove home with Andrea and a couple other gals. And so I thought I'll talk to them about it on the way home. So I go out and we're all, you know, getting breakfast and getting ready to start break camp. And some guy comes into our camp and says, um, is there any way that uh, one of the guys from my camp needs an encounter? Is there any way that he can get an encounter? And I was with um, Marjorie was where there. And so Marjorie went and got asked you and Darren and, and got permission to just do like a quick encounter with this guy. And the guy who had come and asked his playa name, um, people out there at Burning Man, they would take on names for the week and we called them playa names. So this guy's playa name was Bear. 
And I don't remember what camp he was from, but he had come a number of times. He was kind of a, a regular. So he was known and he wanted to bring a young man from his camp for an encounter. So got permission to do it. And so it was um, Marjorie and then one other experienced teammate. And I just tagged along because um, I was a noob and I just wanted to see what happened. So anyway, the guy, the young man needed healing. He needed physical healing. He'd hurt his wrist or something like that. And so they walk him through this encounter and it's this great encounter. And at the end of it, Bear stands up and we're saying goodbye and he's thanking us. And he looks at us and says, I want you ladies to know that what you do out here makes a difference. I will never, uh, the people who come in for encounters are never the same after this. I will never be the same. Wow. And it was so cool because it was like God answering this question that I've been having that morning. Is any of this make a difference? Is any of this going to change any lives? And then he comes right out and, and says it. And that was like, okay, I, I heard that. I heard that one. Yeah. <laughs> wow. What a great yeah. story. It's yeah. funny how the Lord does that when we need encouragement. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And then we'd have people come back from one year to the next that, um, like I had one encounter, this is kind of a quick one, because I don't remember a lot of the details, but it was actually my last encounter ever. It was 2017. It was our last year out there. And um, mm -hmm. I was tired, burnt out. It's Friday evening, and I get seated with one last guy, and it's this um, just earnest young man. And he said he'd come the prior year and, and gotten what we called popcorn encounters. So we started doing this. I can't remember what year it was, maybe like 2014, 20, something like that, maybe. where on Friday evening, we would find, we still had a line of people who wanted encounters and we were closing. And so our leadership got together and they decided let's bring all those people in line, the inside of the encounter tent, pair up the teammates, just two by two and then just bust them loose. And we start calling them popcorn encounters. So they were ten like, minutes. yeah, 10 minute max, like just go up, ask them what they need. Give them a quick, just touch from the Lord. And um, consistently after that, we have people come back the next year and say, I had a popcorn encounter last year. I've been waiting all year to get in here. And so this was this guy that came in my very last encounter at Burning Man. He had a popcorn encounter the year before, and he was so blown away by that 10 minute touch from the Lord that he'd been waiting all year long to come back and have an encounter. And so we, um, I can't remember everything that we did with him, but it was a, a, one of those beautiful encounters where he's in tears, we're in tears. It's just this beautiful, he got what he had been waiting for. What yeah. an amazing story. And think about that level of spiritual hunger to wait for a year yeah. to come back. And based on a popcorn encounter, it's not even an in-depth thing like uh, Andrea had with uh, this woman who went into an hour long trance or vision or whatever it was. That's, yeah. that's incredible. Well, so what it tells you is um, when people are spiritually receptive, even if they're receptive in the wrong way, um, they can actually have very quickly encounters with God that are profound and life-changing. Mm -hmm. And they, yeah. they know the difference. Mm -hmm. They know the difference when they finally tasted the real deal. They know yeah. the difference. I, I really think that what you're not you're not really trying to make this point, but I'm gonna I'm gonna say it in response to what you both said. I, I think that when we hear these stories of you know great moves of God in various countries, um, you know we've we've had a, a woman on our show who has been a missionary in Ukraine and Afghanistan. And, you know, she's talked about the many thousands of people who have come to faith in those countries. 
And, you know, we hear about the great miracles and healings and all that. You know, in a lot of those countries, they are spiritually hungry. And and spirituality, it's, it's not just that they're hungry. Spirituality is taken as something that is legitimate and real. At a place like Burning Man, obviously, it's taken as legitimate and real, or they wouldn't even be there. But I think in the wider context of Western civilization, and most particularly the U.S. and Canada right now anyway, uh, because we're U.S. citizens here, uh, I think I think there's a kind of jadedness and almost apathy towards spiritual matters in our countries. And, you know, you get into sub-segments like what you find at Burning Man, that's not going to be true. Uh, we talk about the hippie generation. That's a sub-segment where that wasn't true. But I think in the main, American society, Canadian society are pretty as we say, they're pretty over it with uh, spiritual matters. And I think that is part of why maybe things aren't quite as amazing here as they often are in other places. Do you guys have any ideas based on your uh, interactions at Burning Man of what it would take to stir up spiritual hunger in countries like the United States? Um, <laughs> I think the hunger is there. I yeah. think the church has failed to meet the hunger. Yes. Yes. Okay. So we're, that's part of what we get to do. That's so fun is yeah. uh, we come in with another way of uh, viewing God. I mean, it's, it's the God yeah. of the Bible hundred percent, but it's got outside the box, got outside the strictures of Western church. Yeah. And that's what they're hungry for. And, and, and there's, I think there's, some do there's some due focus on our part about the reality of Joel 2 and Acts 2. In the last days, I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. And we've come to interpret it as it's already happening. We just got to know where to look for it mm -hmm. and where to dig and, and maybe have, you know, many fish bite if you have good bait. Um, yeah. it, it's sort of reality. We, we go to our coffee shop that we've been doing 12 plus years or, or other venues thinking the same thing they're there we just got to have um the right bait the right presentation and we'll find it one way or the other i mean we had i, I was thinking our, our red we had this so red sofa <laughs> that we brought to a city park and we put up a sign for encounters for just for blessing and uh, we didn't we didn't we didn't know what to expect but we get such a mix and, and i mean one of the last ones we had two guys alcoholic and and heavily demonized and spiritual grid they're just really angry at father figures for the most part yeah and to the point of demonization and and just this whole down spiral of alcoholic lifestyle and but yet we've i don't know we kind of say well God, you're here. We're going to find that hunger one way or the other. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it happens. Um, mm -hmm. And I don't have any big theology. I, I think your assessment is fairly correct. We go to these new age fairs or whatever, and there is spirituality there. And um, you have to be open yeah. to listening to the Holy Spirit for the creative way to connect with them. Yeah. And to be out of the box, do crazy things sometimes. And that was a crazy thing. I had never, ever before led somebody into a, a vision journey like that. Mm -hmm. And she had never done it before either. But it was a Holy Spirit 
inspired moment and God showed up in major ways. Mm -hmm. And he does that. You just have to, you have to be open to listening for the creative and be obedient to it. Mm -hmm. I have one more story before Rob and Katie get to share what they have to share. And this is a little bit different. This had had to do with something I was experiencing out there this particular year. Um, God brought me into a season at Burning Man of travail. Mm-hmm. I was the head on-site intercessor and all of a sudden travail was coming on me from time to time. And I was learning about it because I didn't understand it, but I couldn't do anything about it because <laughs> when it comes, it comes. Mm-hmm. And um, so this one particular day, I am. Wait a second. <laughs> Before you go on, just define what you mean by travail, because some travail. of our listeners won't know that. Okay, so travail, I mean, it's a form of heavy, deep intercession that involves really a lot. It's like wailing and crying. And it's a, it's an all consuming intercession that is initiated by the Holy spirit. And you just get pulled into this process with it. And it's often very physical. physical. It can look as though you're giving birth. Yes. Yeah. It's weighty inside. Yeah. It's very weighty. Anyway, this one morning we're getting ready to open the tent and tent for encounters. And I am feeling travail come on. It's like building inside of me. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, you know, it's right here. And at any moment I could end up at a, in a puddle on the floor, you know, and I'm like, I don't know how I'm going to do encounters. But so to, to preface this, I had been asking God, what is, what is accomplished through travail? Because it's, it's such an odd experience. What, what happens when you travail? And I know that there's a lot of different answers for that. But one of the things that he told me was that one of the things that happens when you travail is that it ushers in repentance. And so he had just told me that either the day before or the morning of, and I'm experiencing this building of travail. I told Rob about it and he put somebody with me that could handle that. <laughs> it's, should something happen to me during an encounter? <laughs> well, the very first person that comes in is this woman in her late thirties and she sits down and she seems kind of heavy in her, in her soul. And um, the Holy spirit prompted me just to simply ask her, I said, so what's on your heart today? Cause usually we start out asking the Holy spirit, okay, what does this person need? But I was prompted to say, so what's on your heart today? And she said, oh, I just, I'm struggling because I feel like I've just really let God down. You know, I've disappointed him and I've I've made really bad choices. And she went on and on about it. And, and I'm thinking, travail ushers in repentance. Okay, I'm thinking this to myself. And so I just very simply asked her, so would you like to tell God you're sorry? Hmm. And she said, yes. she just started launching into a prayer of repentance right there and then and i'm like wow (laughs) and so then we were able to pray with her and reconnect her with god and all of the stuff that you know that we do and then that travail lifted Mm. it was gone Mm. and it's just extraordinary Mm. how god works and you don't Mm -hmm. always understand what's happening but he shows up yeah, I had a quick travail story. This is one of my favorite encounters that you just reminded me of. The man that came and sat with us, it was, again, this was the last encounter of this particular year, um, Friday evening, and he was a Vietnam vet. And he carried so much 
shame and anger and everything. And um, in the midst of the encounter, I got pulled into travail as my teammate stayed present. And I ended up burden bearing for him Mm -hmm. travailing because he was trying to release this stuff. And that's one thing that I've had this experience with travail where it becomes a burden bearing thing where the Lord literally says, will you lift some of this off of them so that they can keep moving forward? And that's what happened. It was like, I was helping to carry the Oh, the crushing weight that this man had been under so that he could actually have an encounter with the Lord. And my teammates stayed present and walked him through repentance and connecting with, I mean, that was one of the encounters where we just went straight to the Jesus place um, with the man. And it was at the end of it was very profound. And I had this sense of honor that I got to help this man walk out of decades of this pressing that he'd been under. Yeah. That, and then as long as we're on this journey of, I guess I want to address it as acute identification with their pain as as part of it. Um, We were doing popcorn encounters last day, and I get called in. I I was just kind of observing the team, make sure everything's okay, and sort of be available. So I get called into the, I think it was your group. Mm -hmm. Did I tell this story last time? A a young man, the the young bisexual. Yeah. Anyways. I don't remember a story about a bicycle. Yeah. I, I was teamed up with another teammate and a young man came to us and said yeah. that um, he um, felt that he was homosexual, but every time he had a homosexual encounter, it felt wrong and he didn't understand what was happening. And right away, I realized that um, he was craving father. And so he was confused and going to the homosexual encounters, but what he really needed was like the love of a father. And so we grabbed Rob and then that's yeah. where he came in. So I, I I do father blessings quite often, but in this case, I'm, I'm approaching it and I'm going, ah, it's the end of the week and most of us are going, Lord, I can't take anymore. <laughs> so I got this guy and he's fairly short and I just kind of wrap him in my arms and I, and I go into this kind of standard father blessing where I bless him from eternity past when God knew who they were and who they were going to be and just progressively bless them and, and convey God's father's love to them. And I'm holding them, holding them. And all of a sudden I am in this different place where I'm, I'm deep inside and feeling his confusion, feeling his pain, feeling the disjointedness. And I'm crying. He's crying. I'm a mess. I don't know who's ministering to who, other than, <laughs> other than the power of God is on us, yeah. you know. Uh, and I, I'm just really totally mess. And then suddenly I go into this vision of telescoping out from the playa of all the father blessings and mother blessings we did over the years, and basically the Lord sort of conveying to me. These are the effects that radiate out throughout time and eternity for doing these kind of prophetic. And they're not, prophetic is almost too weak a term, prophetic acts, but for doing this obedience to enter into their pain and then lead them out. Um, So I go into this whole vision, everything. I'm a mess when it's done. I look at him, I'm going, are you okay? He goes, yes. <laughs> and I basically, I'm not okay. I'm, I'm going, I can't get in the ring anymore. We have this little chill space at the back of the tent where we'd say when their circuits are blown, we tell them, just go lie down there for a while and soak it in. 
So I, I went and did this thing where I, I here I am, one of the leaders of it. I'm lying on the ground with all these burners that are equally burned out, blown circuits on God. And I'm going, this is truly sitting where they sit. I mean, but for the grace of God, we're all broken. You know, we're all broken in some level and never understanding humanity like God does. And man, that, that just got me. You know, for us, the, the encounters were always a two-way street. Um, oh, yeah. We never came back going, just totally look at the marvelous things we did or God did. It was always like part of our testimonies were, look what God did to us. He wrecked it. Every year we'd get our perspective wrecked another few degrees. You know? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, Katie has a story. <laughs> so, Rob, you, you what you're saying, just so everybody caught it, is as a Christian, you had a profound spiritual encounter as well at Burning Man. It wasn't nobody would have thought that would happen, but it did, and it was it was very meaningful to you. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. It, it's almost like, well, who's getting ministered to here, Lord? You know, like, sometimes you know, we always happen. assume I'm the minister here. You yeah, know? in the midst of ministering, we sometimes receive ministry. Yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, and we we know that, and we're comfortable with that idea in a church context because um, it's in church, I guess. But sometimes the Lord surprises us. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. All right, go ahead, Katie. In the early years that I went, I spent more time in the encounter tent than in the uh, coffee dome. And so this, uh, these stories are from that period of time. And it was, um, I was on two different teams, two different days. And one team that I was on, they brought us this woman, this young woman was probably in her uh, early to mid thirties. And she sat down and I'd forgotten. I I've since forgotten all the, all of the things that she came in for. But one of the thing, the, the seminal thing was that she said that she had had an abortion and this, you know, compounded added to everything else that she was therefore kind of undone. And she explained the circumstances of her abortion. She had lived with this guy for uh, a couple of years, if not longer. So it was really kind of a long-term relationship and ended up having an abortion. And she, what the, I, this, the story gets complicated in, in the sense that she tells about the, her mate and he had, because it affects him as well. And he, she said that she was with him all this time. And then when she tells him that she's having this abortion, he loses it in a sense because he had just was in a vehicle accident with his best friend. His best friend was driving. His best friend gets killed. He comes home from that and his girlfriend tells him, I'm aborting your baby. And she can't understand why he's having trouble. But the the point of that was that God gave because I have had an abortion, I've had that experience, 
I was the team member that could speak to it. And God gave me language to be able to talk to her about principles, the principles of creator, the principles of design that are outside of man's laws and cultures and what seems right. And she could understand that and come into agreement with that and and um, actually come out of agreement with the fact that she did this. And um, so we got some headway with her. The other gal, the next day, it was the end of the day. It was Friday. I was not leading the team, but um, this young woman comes in and she's quite a bit younger. She's probably in her early 20s. And she sits down and the leader of our team says, oh, who's already kind of sitting back in her chair going, hey, you look pretty raw. What's going on? And this girl erupts into tears, full-blown tears flying out of her eyes. And she says, well, maybe it's because I've had two abortions in eight months. So once again, I was placed in this team who could have empathy and address this with her. And again, God gave me language to be able to talk to her about it because these two young gals have, you know, were born and raised in cultures that, that say, you know, abortions are the way to go if you don't want your baby. And so they have no grid for why they shouldn't. And so the Lord gave me language based on principles of the creator and, and design and that were universal. And they got that. And this young woman, she had was originally from Eastern Canada and hadn't been home in five years. And as she got freer and freer, she her she kind of looked up and like uh like. suddenly became awake. And she said, I know what I have to do. And I have to do it now. I have to go home. And she got up went out <laughs> so do i know what's happened to these women since then no but it was uh divine appointments for me that day and mm-hmm. for them mm-hmm. yeah. and for the uh, you know the young man in that first case um i started praying for him and i have prayed for him for years mm. i you know i don't know what happened to him but they you know over time split went their separate ways, but there was a young man who, who had a lot taken from him mm-hmm. without having uh, an answer or a way to understand it. Nobody there apparently to help him. So I prayed for him. So I know that God is doing something in his life. Yeah. And I like your point, Katie, about um, principles. Um, I remember one encounter I was involved with where it was this young, um, newly out of the closet gay man, young man. And he was all excited about this new freedom that he was exploring. And um, it was a very tricky encounter for us because he was very excited and wanted to share with us all the experimenting he was planning to do out there on the playa. And um, those are those moments where you're like, oh, God, oh, God, oh, God, what do I do with this? I'm I'm not going to celebrate something that's going to lead to his destruction. Um, And what the Lord gave us, my teammate and I was to to listen to what he was saying and look for um, marks of his design and then speak into his personal design to see him as a human being aside from any behavior, 
like what, who was this young man? How, how did God create him? And then to bless God's design in him. And um, that was one of those tricky, like uh, we had an encounter like this actually this summer at the at our, um, red couch thing that we did. This gal walked into our little circle there. And first thing that out of her mouth is uh, my name is Dimitri. They, them pronouns, please. Mm-hmm. And so again, it was one of those things where it was like, this is tricky. How do we navigate this? Well, Holy Spirit knows exactly. We don't, in the church, we like our formulas. We like our, you know, box little, do it this way. And so much of what's happening in the culture, you you have to be able to listen to Holy Spirit and pull on Holy Spirit and navigate those things. And one of the ways to do it is who is the actual person aside from behavior, who is that person? And then bless that because that's how God sees them. Mm -hmm. And that was something we really learned how to do out there on the playa because there, some of the people that came to us were tricky when yeah. they were into. Well, that's a good point. You know, it, I think sometimes we talk about evangelism or we talk about outreach, uh, even just, you know, ministry in church. And people want to make it sound like it's overly simplistic, but it's often not. We're dealing with complex situations in people's lives. Sometimes they're kind of jacked up because of the level of emotional pain that they're in or they're demonized or whatever. Um, And consequently, you really, you need the wisdom of the Lord and you also need a a measure of maturity that helps you to assess what you're dealing with, with kind of a level-headedness that, I don't know, many times people who go in just kind of with starry-eyed wonder, I'm going to serve the Lord. They get they get shot out of the saddle. So, I mean, I think it'd be okay to team up a younger one with a more seasoned one at a Burning Man. But I don't think you just want to turn somebody who has no life experience loose uh, at a Burning Man either. And you certainly have as as a baseline, they know how to hear from the Lord. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And we'd go in, I, I always kind of had this picture, you know, between years, we were always studying and learning and and um, it, adding things to our tool belt. So I felt like every year I'd go back to Burning Man with more tools in my tool belt. And then I'd sit in my encounters with my tool belt, but I had to listen to the Lord. Which tool do I pull on, if any, that I already have, or are you going to give me a new tool here? So part of the maturity is being willing to um, recognize and admit what you don't know. And there was a lot we didn't know when we got out there, but Holy Spirit, you know, he, he knew everything. He knew every person that was going to be seated with us before we went out there. And um, we just had to show up and, and be willing to listen. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I, I remember there was a, a Jewish man that came into our encounter tent and I don't know what he was on or what, but he was belligerent right from the get-go, and he was going, "So you are Christians?" And uh, he, he, is this the naked guy? No, no, he was, he was fully clothed. Uh, <laughs> so, <laughs> so uh, he, he's just being obnoxious, and even the burners who get this reverential fear sitting in the waiting room in honor of what we're doing is going. So. Uh, are you going to try to get me saved? And we, Lisa and I were leading that year. We're trying to calm him down. And Lisa's going, oh, I'm so full of the spirit. And let, let me let me pray some peace on you. And it wouldn't take. This guy just kept going. So we're. I'm honestly getting worried. Like this this guy, I mean, he's, he's, he's obnoxious to the burners, but we, we're not going to give up on him. So 
I uh, so I decide to place them with with our friend Mo, and uh, <laughs> Mo Mo is seated with two Native Americans on our team, and I, I wasn't even thinking of it other than I felt this prompt seat this belligerent guy and I could see Mo as I'm leading this guy we, you know we lead him very personally we hold them hold their hand and then we introduce them everything's about touching and eye contact in that beginnings so I, I lead him to the group and Mo's looking at me like I'm gonna get you for this uh, but he sits down this guy he sits down and he looks to either side of Mo that he's Native American, uh, a man and a woman. And he goes, I have great respect for Native Americans. I'm here to listen. <laughs> <laughs> Stayed silent. They had a brilliant encounter with a guy. He gets up. He looks at me as he leaves. goes, thank you so much. You know? <laughs> wow. <laughs> you never know. You know, some of these sound just like stories out of the Bible, um, especially Jesus's prophetic encounters. We tend to emphasize his healing and deliverance encounters, but, you know, he sees Zacchaeus in a tree and he calls him out by name, or he uh, he sees Nathaniel and he says, oh, here's an Israelite indeed in whom there is no guile. Or, uh, woman, where are your accusers? Uh, they're all gone, Lord. Well, neither do I condemn you, but go and leave your life of sin. And so, you know, you, a lot of these encounters, again, they're, they're stories in the Bible. They're there for a reason. You know, the Lord wanted them in the Bible. But uh, when you hear these things, it just shows the power of the prophetic word, um, especially in these realms of the soul and inner healing. Uh, I, I also know that that can be a catalyst for physical healing and deliverance, but especially <laughs> stories that all of you have told today, they have to do uh, really with people finding reconciliation to the Lord and, um, and with themselves and their past. And so, I mean, these are just, these are tremendous stories and they just show that God is still on the move and still looking for errant lost sheep. Um, that's right. Yeah. yeah, that's right. Well, we'll land it here um, because we're about out of time. It's been great having all of you back on the show again. And um, thank you for taking time out of your days to each of your days to be with us. And uh, I'll see all of you when I get up to Idaho here pretty soon. Yeah, looking yeah. forward to it. Yes. Thank, thank you. you. Yeah, thanks. It's been a thank pleasure. Yep. Yeah, thanks. Well, right, well Grant, thank you. you have anything you want to add? No, just thank you so much for for all of you, all you know, all five of you, Ken included, for for taking time to to talk with us and let us kind of peek into just this incredible uh, ministry and and even what you guys it sounds like you guys are doing even now is just so cool and I hope it gives people the opportunity to to think outside the box and dream with God about how they can they can reach the lost uh, in their in their city. So thank you so much and uh, we we look forward to more conversations and more stories. And uh, Ken, thanks for taking time uh, to meet with us. And thank you all for listening. We'll be right back next week with another episode of God is Not a Theory with Ken Fish. We've recently updated the Orbis Ministries app with Ken's free teaching archive. You can click on the link in the description of this podcast to download today.